Ephesians chapter 6, sermon number 26. Almost finished with the preaching series through the book of Ephesians. This is the second one of planned three planned sermons on this particular passage. I've called this little mini-series within the series The Relentless Struggle Against the Evil One. So this is part two of the relentless struggle against the evil one. This is a passage on what we sometimes call spiritual warfare. Now, as I preach on these verses for these three sermons, I'm really trying to answer, ask and answer three questions. First of all, who are we fighting? Which I looked at two weeks ago. And then this morning, trying to answer the question, what are we fighting for? And Lord willing, next week, how do we fight? So that's kind of where we're headed with these sermons. Uh, I, again, I mentioned last time, I talked a little bit about who we are fighting, and it wasn't a, a long sermon on all the intricacies of the devil and Satan and what's going on here. Um, certainly, I didn't fill in all of the blanks that you might have in your doctrine, your understanding of the devil. But I don't feel bad because even Paul... I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, maybe. But even Paul didn't get into it in great detail. In this particular passage, he just assumed it and knew that they knew about the devil and his focus was somewhat different. And so that's why I didn't spend a lot of time on that last week. But this morning, what we're trying to answer is the question, what are we fighting for? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from this year's word. We pray through Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. One of the ministries that we support as a church and, and pray for regularly in our pastoral prayer and the little rotation where we pray for the different ministries is Pathway Ministries and their work in Ukraine. And so, um, in particular, um, a lot of our support and, and involvement there is connected to uh, uh, Luda and Sergei Bet Betin. I think I'm maybe saying that right. B-E-T-I-N, Betin, Betin. And uh, Luda puts out a daily email. 
and uh, it's really a little bit of a journal of what happened the day before. And usually in the first line or so in, in that daily email, she says something like, well, it was a good night. We only had two air alarms or something like that. Or we had a we had a, 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 a very bad day. There were, you know, rockets were launched in our region, you know, all day long. And there are air alarms. And, and so, you're, you know, you see this from her on a daily basis, these air alarms and rockets exploding and running to basements for cover and just total disruption of life. And you're reminded there that they on a daily basis, constantly face a ruthless enemy. They live under the constant threat that they are being attacked and that they may die. And one of the disadvantages of living in a secure setting is that you can think you have no enemies. You walk around, we walk around because we live in a pretty secure spot. And so we can walk around as if there's nothing to fear, as if tomorrow is going to be just as safe as today, which was just as safe as the day before. I'm not saying that we should wish that we are in a war zone. Our Ukrainian friends, which we have many here in this church, would say, no, you don't want that. But we do need to remember the truth that we all have a ruthless enemy. We need to remember that the devil's goal is your downfall. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's winding down his letter and he's reminding the Christians in Ephesus that they have this ruthless enemy. He's written them a letter, the letter to the Ephesians that I've preached through, talking really about what it means to be a Christian, what all it means to be united to Christ. And in chapters 1 through 3, he gives all of the, what sometimes we might say, the doctrinal or the theological points. He talks about all of the blessings that come with that. All of the riches that we have spiritually from being united to Christ. And then in chapter 4, 5, and 6, it's how that should work itself out in the way that you live your life. And so here he is, he's winding down the letter. It's sort of a, a final word. I said a couple of weeks ago that he's, it's sort of like the coach giving a little bit of a pep talk to the team before the football team, before they take the field there in the locker room, he's telling them, reminding them that they've got to go out and fight. And that's what we're getting from Paul here. This reminder that we as Christians must fight. We must wrestle. The Christian life is a relentless struggle against the evil one. Now, just by way of review, uh, again, tried to, trying to answer the three questions last time. It was, who are we fighting? And the answer is very clear there in verse 11. We're, we're fighting the devil. We have this very powerful, very hateful, very clever enemy. <clears throat> a lot of people don't believe in this idea of a literal, <clears throat> uh, evil, powerful, angelic being. Tried to address that a little bit to some extent a couple of weeks ago. But this Christian life is, again, a relentless struggle against the evil one. I think the hardest thing preaching that sermon a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't really trying to explain a little bit about the devil or, you know, why you should or shouldn't believe or should believe, understand, believe that there is a devil. I mean, that's and in one sense, it's kind of a fairly easy academic exercise. But the hard thing about preaching that, that sermon is trying to convince you and me of our need to fight, to be on guard, to put on the armor of God, because most of us 
are not sending out emails to others every day saying, yeah, there were air alarms all night. And so we live in a nice world. We, most of us have the financial resources to make life relatively smooth for ourselves. We don't encounter even demon possession on a, on a daily basis, at least that we, we, that we would know it. And so we can very easily forget about our need, our need to fight and to let our guards down is perfectly fine with the devil. He's glad for us to be rather casual and think that everything's smooth and, and easy. So that was last week or two weeks ago. Who are we fighting? Today, what I want to try to answer is the question, what are we fighting for? And I want to mention just two things about this fight that we're in. Number one, we fight to stand firm in the faith. That's what we're fighting for, to stand firm in the faith. You see it here in verses 11, 13, and 14, the word stand or withstand. Let me read just these verses again. Put on the whole armor of God, it says there in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. And then verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and so forth and so on. The devil's goal, y'all, is to bring us down, to bring you down, to bring me down, to bring the church of Jesus Christ down, to bring God down. He wants to decrease faith. He wants to increase um, disbelief and doubt. He wants to decrease the number of people who are living for God. He wants to decrease the number of people who are trusting in his word. And frankly, sometimes it looks like he's doing a pretty good job. <laughs> You know, there's, there's one term called deconstruction that's used now. It's, it's what you call it when someone is kind of reexamining the faith in which they grew up. And it, it's, it's almost really kind of shorthand for either becoming an atheist or an agnostic or really some, anything other than a traditional um, historic Christian, um, similar to the ex-evangelical movement. Uh, which, again, is, is, is where people kind of describe, well, yeah, I grew up a Christian and I've left it because this or that or whatever. And there are a number of you know, well-known folks who have entered into that realm. Um, Joshua Harris, who wrote that book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which was a big thing going on, I guess, in the 90s or something like that. And then he was a pastor. And again, the devil's goal is for you to lose your faith. The devil's goal is for you to throw in the towel the devil's goal is for you to doubt God. And to do it, staying in the faith is not easy. It's not easy to walk with God for a lifetime. It's not easy to do it year after year after year. Life will throw you curveballs. And it's easy to throw in the towel. It's easy to get bitter. It's easy to get cynical. And all of that is an undercutting of faith. All of that is, is, is an undercutting of belief in God and trust in Him. One of the implications of this truth that the devil wants to bring you down is that the church, Christians, are targeted. We're the ones who have a target on our back. Those who aren't following Christ, they're not they're not going to receive the same sort of intensity or attack 
uh, as Christians would have. They're not Christians. They're not following Christ. And so, uh, and so, so you, as one who's following the Lord, you're the one who's going to be shot at. You're the one who's going to be targeted. And our fight, as we see here, is to stand firm, to hold firm to the faith. We all want to be able to say, as Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. That's what we're fighting for. Keeping the faith. And I'm the first one to admit it is so easy to be distracted. It's very easy to get uh, sidetracked and and to to fight for just a a life of leisure, political power, a respectable reputation, our rights, you know, on and on and on. There are all kinds of things that we can be fighting for. And and you might say, well, how would I know if I'm really being distracted? Well, I I mean, the way I think of it is... is, uh, I just, I just know how I'm spending my time, especially how I'm spending my thought life, my free time. You know, you might think, well, how we're spending our time shows what, what it is that we're giving our life to, what we're fighting for, what we're trying to protect. And you think, well, I spend most of my time at work. Well, yeah, that's proper. You know, most of us are addicted to eating. Most of us want a, a roof over our head. And so that's good and right and proper that you would spend most of your time working. But what about your your free time? What about when you're raking leaves? What about when you're in the shower? Where do your thoughts go? What are you fighting for? It's during those times that you will learn what it is. You can see what it is you're fighting for. I also think about, you know, answering the question, well, what sort of commitments have I made? What which so I'm throwing it at you. What sort of commitments have you made for the fight? Because you'll you'll drift. I'll drift. We'll, we'll all drift without guardrails. Or what are those things when it, whenever you're you're uh, you go to a bowling alley and and you're you're either a really bad bowler and so you get it, or they do it for the kids. They put those little bumpers, I guess, in the. In the alley, so your ball can't go into the gutter, gutter, whatever they are. There's a name for them. But, you know, whatever. We we need those things in our spiritual lives or else we'll end up in the gutter. Far from the target. Far from the Lord. So, those guardrails, daily Bible reading and prayer. Worshiping, you know, being regular, consistent... Worshiping the Lord with the people of God unless providentially hindered. Reading good Christian literature. Running from sin. Because sin hardens. Sin hardens heart and sin blinds eyes. And so if we're not running from it, if we're not putting up these sort of guardrails in our life, then we will not stand firm. We'll fall. We'll lose zeal. We'll fade. So we fight to stand firm in the faith. And then second, we fight the schemes of the devil. So we fight to stand firm in the faith and we fight the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11 says, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So what are the schemes of the devil? I just want to say two things about his schemes. 
Number one, he ship he shipwrecks faith. That's what the devil's goal is: is to is to see you, you know, like a, like a ship shipwreck. Um, he shipwrecks faith through lies. That's one of the the main things he does. It has been said that the devil gets us not with fang marks on the neck, but through lies in the heart. In other words. It's not an obvious, clear attack of the devil that usually brings the Christian down. It's a very subtle thing. It is a slow slide. It is couched in truth, lots of truth surrounding it. But it's untruth. It's, it's lies. John eight forty four. Jesus said the devil is a liar and the father of lies. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, we read about Satan who disguises himself as an angel of light. In Revelation 12, verse 9, we read the devil is the deceiver of the whole world. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, we're reminded that the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Lies. Deception. Dishonesty. And I was thinking about where we, where we might be as Christians today. What are the lies that we believe? And certainly there, there could be a long list. I think there are at least a couple of books out uh, in the last number of years uh, about lies that we believe. Tim Chester has written a book called Everyday Church. And he, in that he talks about the four G's of God. And so this is very, very much a 30,000 foot view of just sort of the character of God. And his four G's are God is great. God is good. God is gracious and God is glorious. God is great. God is good. God is gracious and God is glorious. And just this week I was reading uh, something where where a guy was referencing this particular book and he said his belief was that modern Christians, and I agree with him, and I see it in my own life and I see it in our lives as Christians, modern Christians today, that that we modern Christians say we believe that God is good and God is gracious we appreciate those about those about God and and he is good. He is gracious. Those are his more compassionate uh, characteristics. I think Hunter maybe in his prayer was talking about it just a little bit ago. And God is indeed good and gracious. But we've forgotten about him being great and glorious. And these are kind of the powerful aspects of his character, even the wrathful or even fearful aspects of his character. And that's what the devil wants. He wants us to have a distorted view of God. And so he's going to feed us lies to deceive us and distort the truth. It it really becomes, it all boils down to words. Words matter. Definitions matter. You know, think about just just a, a couple little things that we see in the world today and read about. You know, prostitutes are now called sex workers. Make it really nice and, and simple, a sex worker. You know, sexual minorities is, is a catch-all, in, in, it's a catch-all inclusive ter- term for, for all manner of sexual immorality. But it, it sounds very nice and palatable. But it's not just out there in the world, in the church. I mean, guys like me, preachers, we, we, we say things that we shouldn't say. We, the, you know, I think, the, I think the big one now that I see in the church kind of goes back to the God is, is good and, and gracious thing. Um, it, it's just plain niceness. Godliness now is niceness. It's like, it's like niceness is thought of to be the, the ultimate fruit of the Spirit. I was thinking about this uh, this week, and, and then I read a, an article about 
Calvin University um, up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the headline reads this way, Calvin University's Board of Trustees has allowed a, a group of faculty members to dissent from a clause in a confession of faith that regards sex outside of heterosexual marriage as sinful, thus enabling them to continue to work at the Christian school while also respecting their convictions. And one of the professors there, Kristen Dumez, she tweeted, Our desire is that Calvin be a place where even our disagreements are characterized by love, charity, and grace. We are hopeful that this process and outcome can serve as a model for others as we continue to wrestle with important issues. Now, on the face of it, that seems fine. I'm certainly all for love and grace. But what's implied there is that we need niceness more than truth. And in any environment, really, when, when sin enters into an environment or an organization or an institution, something has to die. Something has to die for sin to enter into a situation and to stay and to live. Something else has to die. That's the way sin works. Either the sin itself has to die, or unity is going to have to die, or the truth is going to die. But something has to be sacrificed. And with the devil, it's always going to be truth that goes away. And today, what it seems to go away in favor of is niceness. And this is just, this is one example of the lies and things that we believe. But, but the devil is seeking to shipwreck our faith, and he does it by making us believe lies. You know, the, the book I referenced there a few minutes ago, um, it's got a great quote in it. Behind every sin is a lie about God. Behind every sin is a lie about God. Are you drinking too much? You're not believing something about God. You're, you're angry? There are some things you're not believing that are true about God. You're obsessed with your work, a workaholic or whatever? There are things that you are not believing that are true about God. Behind every sin is a lie about God. God and He shipwrecks our faith through lies. That's what the devil does. That's one of his schemes. And then second, and finally, he shipwrecks faith gradually. So he shipwrecks faith through lies, and his other scheme is to do it very slowly, very gradually. Your shipwrecked faith, my weak faith, um, Whatever that that is that is not a quick thing. That is not an overnight surprise. It happens little by little, slowly, very subtly. I appreciated uh, Al Baker's article this week, and, and he, he called it "Where It All Begins to Go South." And he tells the story about Columbia Theological Seminary, which is a PCUSA Presbyterian Church USA. Seminary in the Atlanta area. It's called Columbia because it started in Columbia, South Carolina. And one of the professors uh, about 150 years ago or so now uh, was a guy named James Woodrow, and he took exception to a section of the Westminster Confession of Faith that was regarding creation. And he believed in not naturalistic evolution, but theistic evolution. That uh, This is not really fair, but it's the short of it is that, that God kind of started the evolution process. And so he used this process, but God gets some credit for it, you know, that, that sort of thing. Anyway, there was a lot of debate about that. Uh, the presbytery sided with Woodrow and didn't discipline him for his views. Um, 
which allowed for evolution to be taught there in the seminary. But it was taught, quote, in a purely expository manner with no intention of inculcating its truth. Because we know how all that works out. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we see that kind of thing happening all the time. The, the Columbia now is a, you know, is a seminary that doesn't hold to any of the historic Christian doctrines. And that's, it just works little by little. That, I mean, that's an institution, but the same thing happens with us individually. I mean, folks, don't just wake up one day and say, you know, I, I think I'm going to change religions. No, it's little by little, and it's compromise here, accommodation there. And before, before you know it, you're blinded by sin. You're hard-hearted by sin. And you're leaving Christ behind, or maybe, maybe not leaving Christ behind, but you're just leaving your zeal behind. You know, we've got to fight that tendency. We've got to fight that tendency to slip. We've got to fight that tendency to slide. We've got to fight that tendency to be casual. We've got to guard, stay on guard. We, we must fight. Which goes against a lot of just what we think and are, are, are sort of told today. You know, we're modern Christians. We're, we're lovers, not fighters. But a willingness to fight is one of the key indicators of love. When you think about it, if a man and his wife are walking down the street and some, some, some guys come up and, and attack and, and, and are, are going to rape the wife and, and the husband says, hey, no, do not do this. I do not approve of this. This is not okay. You're not going to think, well, that guy really loves his wife. No. You're going to say that guy loves his wife when he puts up his dukes. <laughs> or he pulls out his gun and destroys them before they can destroy her. A willingness to fight is one of the key indicators of love. If I love God, I'm going to fight for God's glory. I'm going to fight for, for faith. And you, you will as well. So we've got to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're never out of danger. And so we've got to do what James says in James 4, verse 7. Submit ourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So resist. Fight. Stand firm. Don't give the devil just a single foothold, not even a toehold. And thanks be to God for this promise that as we submit ourselves to him and resist the devil, he will flee from us. So resist, fight, stand firm. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the fight for faith is the ultimate fight. And when we pray like we did just a few minutes ago, lead us not into temptation, we're praying that you would keep us from the evil one. Because we are weak, we will fall. And so God, we pray that you'd help us, strengthen us, enable us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our hymn of response, number 575, Soldiers of Christ Arise.
And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. this time today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.